0: Well, last week, we turned our attention to a book of the Bible that often gets overlooked. If Job is the big brother who gets all the attention and wins all the awards, then the book that we looked at last week is like the little brother who is in the big brother's shadow. The book that we looked at last week is called Habakkuk, and it shares a lot in common with the book of Job. It's just a whole lot shorter, but it does take on this really big theme of what's called the problem of evil. Now, for the record, I've said a dozen times that the problem of evil is not a philosophical problem. Maybe someone told you that once, that, that you can't have a good and all-powerful God and evil in the world. They can't coexist. That's bad philosophy. Um, we don't have time to retrace steps that we've already covered in this uh, service before, but on the back of your notes, if you're not familiar with some of those arguments, I just put together 14 different little points that speak to that, that the problem of evil is not a philosophical problem. Problem. It is completely compatible with a good and powerful God. It is completely consistent with a biblical worldview. The problem of evil is not a philosophical problem, but it is a very real personal challenge. And I don't want to minimize that. The existence of evil and suffering in our world is a significant challenge for a person that wants to grow in a personal faith with the God of the Scriptures when we experience pain and suffering, when we experience oppression or persecution, when tragedies appear that appear to deny any rational explanation, and when our prayers for deliverance and for rescue and for help seem to go unheard, then placing our faith in a God who is in a position to help and doesn't can really be a hard thing. Let's just be honest about that. Really, really hard thing. Well, like the book of Job, the book of Habakkuk provides a very personal glimpse into some very personal, heartfelt wrestling as this prophet wrestles deeply with what he sees all around him. And he asks, where are you, God, in all of this? Well, today what we're going to do is spend most of our time in chapter 2, but we need to get a running start at it for those who are here this week. So let's look back. Chapter 1, let's look at quickly what we looked at last week. So if you have a Bible, please open to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. If you don't have a Bible, I want to let you know we have one free today. This is Giveaway Sunday. Water bottles and shirts, but most importantly, we have Bibles, and we would love to give you one. If you don't have one, we have a copy of them right there at the the table... at both those tables. On your way out, you can grab one. All right, well, let's talk about this. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the author of Habakkuk himself. What we do know is that he lived during a time when it would have been easy to question why God wasn't stepping in as he had done before. The Jewish kings were corrupt. The Jewish priests were corrupt. And there were false prophets who were providing the Jewish people with false hope. And not only that, there was this severe oppression from the outside as well. It wasn't just internal turmoil. There was outside pressure from the surrounding nations. You had the nation of Assyria that had oppressed the Jewish people for more than a century, inflicting pain and destruction as they imposed their will, not just on Judea and Israel, but on the surrounding region. And when Assyria's influence began to decline, you had the Egyptians that killed the one good king, Josiah, to come around in years. They kill him. And then they put their own puppet leader on the throne. Well, as you pointed out last week, the prophet Habakkuk, he was burdened by this. He was burdened by these things. And he went before the Lord of Israel, and he cried out to him. And here's what we have his cry. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 said this. Habakkuk just gets real, and he says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you won't hear. Or a cry to you, violence, and and you don't save. Why is it, God, that you make me see with my own eyes? I see the iniquity, and you appear to be idly looking at us and doing nothing. Well, the Bible, we mentioned this several times. The Bible is a brutally honest book. It is an honest book. And we see dozens of examples of people who cry out to God in their confusion, and they cry out to God in their pain, and they cry out to God in their frustration, and they cry out to God in their anger, and they cry out to God with all of the above. Because if God can see all things, if God can do all things, if God, if He's are true of God, why doesn't God prevent atrocities that you or I would prevent if we had the power it just seems like common sense. I wouldn't let this happen, God. Why would you let it happen? Well, the problem of evil, it's not any less personal for Habakkuk than it was for us. And we have this opportunity to look at not only what does Habakkuk do as, as he presents us before the Lord, we have a chance to see God answering him and how God answers the prophet. And that's what we're going to look at. And, and here's the thing about his answer. The answer that God gives was even more perplexing the first answer that God gives when Habakkuk's just getting real. There's this answer that God gives and it's even more perplexing because the corrupt Jewish leadership and the evil Assyrian empire that were, were about to be overthrown weren't going to be overthrown by a Gideon or a Samson or a Deborah or another godly Jewish champion, as was the case in the days of old. God says you're going to get, they're going to get overthrown and they're going to get overthrown by someone who's worse than they. Lucky me. What, you know, just what, what, what is this? So, so there's this whole dilemma that he's facing. And, and Habakkuk uses this analogy last week. Habakkuk goes, God, are we like fish to you? Is that it? You, we're so insignificant that we are just like fish in a net. And you're using Babylon like a fisherman just to catch us all up. If so, God, Habakkuk continues on. He goes, if so, of all the fishermen to pick, why did he pick these? Because you gave him that catch. You gave them that catch. And they're not going to give glory to you for it. They would be more likely to worship their nets than they would be to worship you. Irony is just striking me right now. That analogy is happening, opening, fishing opening weekend. Way to go to be here for the moms on Mother's Day. Way to go. All right. Today's text, here's what we're going to hear God say in response to all this. We're going to hear God say, the righteous will walk by faith. That's what we're going to hear God say in response to these big questions. The righteous will walk by faith. There's a place to write that in your notes. And that is not easy to do. Let's just be honest. It is not easy to walk by faith, especially in this case, and there's a place to write this down too. It is harder to walk by faith when the pain is personal. And when I say personal, I don't mean just happening to you. Sometimes the worst pain is when you see your son or daughter in pain, your spouse in pain. There's so many of us, we would, in a heartbeat, we'd take the pain on ourselves before we'd see someone that we love suffer. And we wonder, where is God in all this? It's very hard to walk by faith, to trust God, when you begin to wonder, is he trustworthy? As I mentioned earlier, the Bible is a brutally honest book, and we've got a lot of precedent. We have a lot of precedent when it comes to coming to God with our emotions and our questions. And after being honest, because we see that, Habakkuk does that. He comes and says, here, God, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Let me lay it all out there. Then Habakkuk does this. He steps back, and this is where we left off last week and where we'll pick up this week. Habakkuk 2, chapter 1. He says, all right, I'll take my stand. You've heard me, God. Twice, actually, now. I'll take my stand at my watch post, and I'm going to station myself on the tower. I'm going to look out to see what you will say to me. And that's where we're going to begin now as we pick up with chapter 2. Chapter 2 opens right here. It opens with Habakkuk invoking military language. Habakkuk is taking the position of a sentry, and his eyes are on the horizon. That's what Habakkuk is doing right now. He's watching for God's answer. And it begins to unfold here in Habakkuk 2, picking up with verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, write this vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Well, as is usually the case when God says something, there is a lot here, so let's try to unpack this with the time we have in smaller pieces. Let's start with just verse 2, where God says to Habakkuk, write the vision on what? On tablets. Write the vision on tablets. The Lord told Habakkuk, write the vision down on tablets. And it's so easy to miss things that are this subtle. They didn't have iPads back in the day. It's not the kind of tablet we're talking about here. The tablets of Habakkuk's day were tablets of clay or stone. They were utilized as a more permanent and lasting form of communication than paper's precursors. And that's going to prove important. That's going to prove important for reasons that will become clear in just a minute. The other thing I want to point out, though, before we continue on is this. Tablets weren't unknown in Israel at the time, but you know who used tablets... The Babylonians. The Babylonians were into tablets. It was the normal medium used by the Babylonians who would be invading their land. These are the people who would be coming. They're not there yet. They're going to be coming. The tablet reference provides some foreshadowing that will make more sense as God's vision unfolds. Let's pick up with the unfolding vision. uh, Verse 3 says this. The vision that you're to write on tablets waits its appointed Time, and then there's the phrase "wait for it." Ever heard that phrase? "Wait for it." They say the Bible's old-fashioned. It was 2,600 years ahead of its time. This wasn't a 2010 thing or whatever. This is this is the Bible, nailed it. Wait for it. The vision that God is giving it won't delay. The Scripture says the vision's not going to delay, but it might not be on your timeline. That's an important distinction to make. The vision won't delay. It will come at its appointed time. Its appointed time might not be the time that you think it should be appointed to. The fulfillment of the vision waits for this appointed time, the time appointed by God. God tells Habakkuk to write the vision on tablets, a medium that will last, because the vision won't come to pass right away. And God wants this vision to be in the people's hands when the time does come, he wants it to be the hands of the Jewish people for decades so they can show it, at least in part, so they can show it to the Babylonians. And that's going to make, again, more sense in a little bit. After the Babylonians come crashing down, which brings us to our next talk point here, and I encourage you to write this down. One of the requirements of walking by faith is to remember that God's time is now always our time. That is a prerequisite for faith. If you want to be a person of faith, You're going to have to humble yourself to recognize that God's timing isn't always our timing. And it's especially hard in a culture like ours where we want things to happen on our timeline. We get so, a lot of us, we get so frustrated and so angry if things don't happen exactly when we think they should happen. The human race once measured time by the stars, by the sun. Now we invented clocks, and we measure time by hours and minutes And seconds and fractions of fractions of seconds and we stand in light of an eternal God if if God is who the Bible presents him to be he's eternal and God is brilliant in all he does and he moves his chess pieces and sometimes for God to do things the way they must be done those chess pieces are moving for centuries sometimes it's decades Sometimes it's years, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, and sometimes it is soon, as we determine soon. But God is not slow. He is brilliant in his strategic ways. And I think we had a glimpse of that, Bridget and Jennifer, yesterday, we had a chance to meet with, um, with a city official. Uh, Bridget just arranged a, a meeting, and, and as we're listening to what God has been doing He's moving the chess pieces and has been doing it for decades in this area, as he does all over the world. He has been moving pieces, and one of the pieces was to get us in this building. I'm convinced of that. And he's moving pieces in the city, and he's moving pieces at the community center, and he's moving pieces in all these churches and things around us. And do I know exactly what that means? No. Do I know exactly when these things are coming to pass? No, but he's doing stuff. Did you get that sense? You get that? He's doing things, and we're going to be a part of it if we continue to walk by faith and trust him and be faithful to what he's doing. And here's one of the reasons we can walk by faith. Let's talk more about verse 3. It says this in Habakkuk 2.3, It will surely come. This vision, it will surely come. It will not delay. Now, the implications of this stuff that are so easy to miss are huge because the implication of this statement is that time is not cyclical. Are there seasons? Yes. God created 24-hour days. He created 364, whatever, five-day years. He's got these cycles. But is time itself cyclical? No, it's linear, and it's moving towards a day when God will make all things as they should be. The Old Testament refers to it as the day of the Lord. New Testament as the second coming. There will be a day, and all history is moving towards it. I want to encourage you to write this down. In the moment chosen by God, in his appointed time, a capital D will, day will come as when all will be as it should be. That day's coming. Now, there's a whole lot of little D days. I had first written down my initial draft of this message. I had a little D on day because we have a lot of those little D days where you have that appointment, that divine appointment, and you're like, only God could have done that. But where everything, the timing and the circumstances are such where, it, okay, hold on. That was crazy how all that came together. Those are the little key moments. I'm talking about the big D day. There's going to come a day when all will be as it should be. As was the case in chapter 1, Habakkuk, in light of this, is presented with a choice, and the choice is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? When you have to walk by faith and not by sight because what you see doesn't make sense to you. Will you trust me? And that trust brings us right into this contrast in verse 4. Verse 4 seems to be a shifting of the gears without pressing the clutch. It just seems very abrupt, but it does make sense. Verse 4 says this, Behold, there's this contrast here. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous will live by faith. God presents this contrast in this vision between two very different types of people. There are those who are puffed up and there's those who are righteous. Now, there's all kinds of word play going on here. It's fascinating to see this. As I studied the passage, I learned for the first time that the Hebrew word that could be translated as puffed up can also be translated as lose faith. Isn't that interesting? The same word translated as puffed up can be translated as lose faith. And isn't it usually pride instead of lack of evidence that causes a person to question their faith? In contrast to the puffed up, there's the righteous who live by faith. They live by faith. I mean, it was interesting. One of the guys who was talking to him afterwards, his name's Luke, he said, it's like a need-to-know basis. God does that a lot. The need-to-know basis. He he does this. The righteous will live by faith. And there's wordplay going on here too. Those who are puffed up and lose faith aren't upright, the Scripture says. In context, the righteous is a synonym for the upright. It's a direct contrast here. And the Hebrew word for faith, take a look at that. Does that word for faith look like anything? It looks like the word what? Amen. That's because they share the same root. So, this, this Hebrew word for faith shares the same root as the Hebrew word amen, which means confirmed. Solid, yes, should it be so? In other words, it is possible to become so puffed up with pride that we reject the truth. Truth that will be confirmed if we wait for God's timing. Truth that will be confirmed. If we wait for God's timing, when we see evil and we see injustice and we wonder why isn't God doing anything about it, will we trust him? Here's what God says about that. Habakkuk chapter one isn't the ending of Habakkuk. We're in two. Here's what God says about that. Look at what God says next. And let me tell you what we're about to read. This is a shot across the Babylonian bow. And this is also a shot Over the bow of anyone who would walk by pride rather than walk by faith. Take a look at this. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. Take a look at this. And ignore the guy taking a sip of tea. Shall not all these things take up their what? Taunt against him, scoffing with scoffing and riddles. God is so good at talking trash that what we're about to read, we don't even see that it's a taunt. This is a very high-level taunt. This is not Randy Moss on Monday Night Football pretending to moon the Packers, right? That, that's a, one type of taunt. This is high-level taunt. What follows, what we're going to see here are a series of five woes, and we're going to see these five woes that are structured like an ancient funeral dirge. Here's why this is such a big deal. There is huge irony here. Habakkuk is writing his vision on what? Tablets, right? Permanent records, something that's going to take time, something that's lasting, these tablets. Well, this vision that God is having right in these tablets, he wants preserved because this taunt is going out to the Babylonian Empire who hasn't yet conquered Israel, and he's not just talking about the conquering. He's talking about what happens after they conquer and after they fall. So this is way ahead, right? On the timeline, this is way, way ahead, God wants this vision preserved so that the Babylonians will hear this vision in the appointed time. The Babylonians are going to hear a funeral dirge for the nation of Babylon. And it's going to come from the people they were about to oppress. Listen to this. I had to write it down because I don't even know if I can make sense of it even as I'm reading it. God is going to pass such severe judgment on the instrument of his justice that the Israelites, who the Babylonians haven't really oppressed yet, but will in the future, will look with pity on them. Makes my head hurt. Makes my head hurt. In our terms, if we are oppressed, if someone perpetrates an evil act against you, and they're not repentant, one of the reasons God can say, don't take violence in your own hands, don't take revenge in your own hands, if they're not repentant, what they are going to experience is going to be so horrible that you're going to feel sorry for them. God's thrown this taunt out to these Babylonians before they've even invaded the land. And He said, this is what's going to happen to them after they've invaded and after I demise, they're falling. The Chaldeans, the precursors of the Babylonian Empire, were on the rise when these words were being written on tablets. And at their peak, Babylon appeared invincible. But God knows what's to come because his story is linear. And in his appointed time, justice will be served. Let's look at these five woes. Woe number one, found in Habakkuk 2, verse 7 and 8. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all of the remnant of the people shall plunder who? You. You. A day was coming when those who plundered will be plundered. If you've ever been a victim again of theft or extortion, or if your heart breaks when you see thugs taking things that don't belong to them, guess what? God sees that too. His eyes aren't blind to that. He sees it too. And a day will come when all will be as it should be. And God makes all things right, so much so that those who are plundered will have pity on the plunderers. And until that day, the righteous will walk by faith. Woe to, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've forfeited your life the stone will cry out for the wall. Once again, there's wordplay going on here. This time it actually works in English. The word house can refer to either a single family dwelling or a dynasty. So this could apply to an individual, could apply to a nation or an empire, and God is saying to both individuals and nations, I see what you're doing. You're building up your house or your dynasty through unjust ways. Through extortion, through stealing, through, through lying and cheating your way to the top. And here you think you've got this nest, you're up safe, you've you're, you got financial security. God's saying, ha, you got, you got as much financial security in that house as those people that built that house in poltergeist on the graveyard, right? That's the kind of security your house has got because a day is coming when all will be as it should be, and I see the way you've cheated others. And I see the way you've built your house on the backs of others. And I see all the shortcuts you've taken. And I see it. The righteous will walk by faith. Woe number three. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, woe to you nations and you hoodlums who are making power grabs over property that's not yours. Woe to you who engage in genocide. Woe to you who engage in ethnic cleansing and your so-called holy wars. Woe to you because God sees what you're doing. He sees. His eye is not blind to what is going on in our world and has been going on in our world from generation to generation. His eyes are not blind. And in his appointed time, all will be as it should be. Amen. And his justice will blanket the earth when he comes back as the waters cover the sea. And when that day comes, you want to be walking by faith. Woe number four. Woe number four is what pornography looked like 2,600 years ago, among other things. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink in order to gaze on their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Woe to the man who would ever get a woman drunk and take advantage of her. Woe to that man. And woe to the person who would utilize modern technology, to take a person who is made in God's image and look at them as an object rather than as someone who bears the image of God. There are no secret sins. God sees what you're doing. He knows how hard it possibly would be to break that addiction, but he sees what you're doing and the righteous will walk by faith. Find help if that's you. Find help if that's you. You might wanna write down the two references this up in the board see how we see Habakkuk 2 here and Daniel 5 here write this down I would encourage you to look at these side by side as best you can because what God said came to pass and we see it there in Daniel 5 and I put these two together to show you what came to pass because there's so many parallels between this passage if you look at all of the stuff including the stuff we left out of Habakkuk 2 15 through 17 and if you look at all of Daniel 5 1 through 30 you're going to see what God said is going to come to pass it came to pass it came to pass as God predicted that it would Again, listen to this. The vision that was written on tablets came to pass in its appointed time. During a Babylonian party where wine was flowing, the ghostly fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of a wall almost as if they were writing on a tablet. And here's what it said. It said, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. He's brought it to an end. The appointed time is now, Babylon, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. If you ever heard that phrase in any movie or book, this is where it came from, the scriptures. You've been weighed and found wanting. It is now time for judgment. Time is now. This is going to happen tonight. Your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And at the appointed time, which was that very night, read about it in the history books, the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Medi rushed in, ushered in the next empire. Woe number five. What prophet is an idol for its maker trusts in his own creation? Here's the phrase I want to look at. We could spend our whole time on just that one, couldn't we, the idol? How often do we pray that God protects our idols? It's so evil, God. You took this thing away from me. Whether it's a performance idol, whether it's a thing, oh God, maybe he needed to do that because it was a... Idol. That's a whole other thing. We had time to go down that trail, but here's what I want to focus on as we close. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let all the earth keep silence before him. There's a time and a place to bring your concerns before the Lord. In fact, God, he invites us, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We have example after example after example of people crying out to God in their pain and in their distress, but there comes a point Let the earth keep silence before him. I said there's a lot of parallels here between this book and the book of Job. This sounds a lot like Job to me. sounds a lot like Job, where Job is crying out to God, and ultimately God says to Job, he says, Who is this, who is this that darkens my counsel without knowledge? I'll question you, Job, and you answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Have you ever shown the dawn its place? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea and walked the recesses of the deep? Remember who this is said. This is before submarines, right? Have you ever done it? Job, have you been to the bottom of the ocean in the deepest crevices? Have you been there? Have you walked there? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way, Job? Does lightning report to you? Does it report to some Avenger in a cape? Nope. Lightning reports to me. I had a great reminder of this on Friday. I needed to get out of town. I went up to Covenant Pines, and there was a rainstorm as I was coming back to my cabin. And rainstorm ends, and I look up, and I think I've got a picture of this. It's really hard. I mean, rainbows and cameras, you can't capture them, right? Here was this brilliant rainbow from horizon to horizon, it was a double. And that's the the dining hall down there. I'm looking at this thing. There's not, there isn't a country in the world that can pull that off. I'm looking at this rainbow, the sign of promise in the rainy sky. And then I turn around and here the sun is setting over Round Lake and the soundtrack is being provided by the wind and the loons waves, and I was in his holy temple, and I was reminded, who am I to question God? Who am I? Because I'm up there, I'm saying to God, I need some answers. I need them actually by, I'm pulling out to meet with Bridget and Jennifer on Saturday morning at 6, so I got, you know, God, I need the answers now, you know, so who am I to question God or his timing? When you consider the works of his hands, who are we to question God? When we consider how he has proven time and time again that his story is woven throughout history, who are we to question God? And even as I typed those words, a thought came into my head, not just for me, but for us. Who are we? We're the beloved of the Father. We're the beloved of the Father. God's character is not schizophrenic. He is not the God of justice and, and, and the God of love, and these are at odds. He is the God of justice and mercy. Why does God wait the way He waits? One of the reasons is because He wants all to come to repentance. Why is He patient? With the hope that His kindness will lead to repentance. And immediately, as as I'm hearing this beloved part, I'm thinking of John 14. Here's, Here's what it says in John 14. These are the words of Jesus of Nazareth, who on the eve of his betrayal said this Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be troubled. When you see all this evil, when you wonder where I am, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, and I'll take you to be with me, that where you are, I may be also. You know the way to the place I'm going, and Thomas goes, Whoa, time out. We know the place you're going? No. No, we don't. We don't. Lord, show us where you're going so I can know the way. And Jesus answered, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except me. We need to walk by faith, not by sight. Look to the example of Jesus. Who said to his Father, God, let this cup pass from me, but also was able to come to the place of Not my will, God, but yours be done. Because we're all going to need to say that at some point if we're going to walk by faith. There will be times after you've said your piece where the right response is going to be silent reverence before the Lord. And as you wait on his timing, hear this. God isn't asking you to take a step of blind faith. I'm so sick of hearing that. God is not asking anybody to take a step of blind faith. You are taking a step of faith with eyes wide open. We're placing our faith in the God who paints his promise in the sky after a storm. We're placing our faith in the God who raises up kingdoms and kings. We're placing our faith in the God who lets us know I see it. I see the evil. I see the injustice. Vengeance is mine saith the Lord. But will you trust me as I move these chess pieces and as my kindness brings many from every tongue, tribe, and nation to repentance and into my house? Will you trust him as God does what only God can do? That's what we're going to ask as we close this service. Let's pray. Father, even faith we read in the scriptures is a gift from you. Even faith is a gift from you. So Father, through your spirit, we ask you to give us that gift of faith that we could trust you, especially when things are hard. You know what? I take that back, to trust you at all times because we need to look to you when times are good so that we don't say by the work of my hands, I did these things. May lot more, God, may we look to you at all times and in all places. And as we do, may we see How high and how wide is your love for us? Lord, we pray right now that you'd help us to take that bold step of faith for the first time or the first time again, where we put our entire trust in you, and we trust you with everything. We give you our entire lives, and we ask that you show us what it looks like to walk by faith. Fill us with your spirit so that we can walk as Jesus walked. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.